Hi, Hillside. Do you ever stop in the middle of your day or what you're doing and think like, wow, this is a moment. I'm in reality. And maybe some things that you're doing doesn't seem like very exciting reality, but it's necessarily, it is reality. And uh, I was just thinking about, um, especially when we live in this natural world and our five senses are so connected with the reality of the moments in which we live. And so many of them are mundane and routine or sometimes they're very uh, much part of crisis, trouble, negative circumstances. And I think also we have the promises of God's word that seem like so often they're in contrary and they're in contradiction to what our circumstances are saying to us. And this is the warfare of our faith, to believe in God despite our circumstances. I was thinking about Jesus in Matthew uh, 16, 18. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against them. And yet we saw from the moment he called the disciples, and this was the early beginning when he made that statement, and he went all the way through, and then he died on the cross. What a contradiction it must have seemed. Where is your church? Where is your building? Right before he left, everyone left him. People in, in John 6, a lot of the disciples left him when he talked about uh, eating his, his blood, drinking his blood and partaking of his body. It's so conflicted the five senses of the natural man. But I tell you today that God is building his church, and he's building it in faith. He's building it in personal relationship. But we will face contrary circumstances and negative things that are opposing the word of God and the truth of God's words that are promises from which we're supposed to live from. You know, our, this is week 11, raising our emotional health, and it's interesting just seeing the brokenness and even feeling the heaviness sometimes in church service where, you know, we want to be all joyful. But the bottom line is God is really trying to help us to get free inside, free in our own emotions, free from those things that have hindered us from really having the joy we're supposed to be having, helping us to really grow in our own faith and our own relationship with Jesus Christ. So there's a supernatural strength that takes over. We begin to walk with God in a different way. And so we can affect our community. Joy comes after we deal with heavy things in our lives and as we put to rest certain things. I want to pray this morning right now. I want you to pray for yourself. I want you to be impacted by the Holy Spirit. I want you to be empowered by God. I want you to receive truth. I want you to be strengthened today inside because in a few minutes we're all going to go out into a real world that is very contradictory to the message of Jesus Christ. And Satan, the God of this world, is trying to do everything he can to destroy lives and to keep Christians from knowing who they are and acting out who they are in this world. God, we come to you again in such dependence upon the work of your Holy Spirit that is with us. And we're asking in these last few moments that you would impress upon our hearts who you are and what you're doing. We pray that you would continue to renew our mind, that you would go deep in those places where there have been strongholds and we have been living away and apart from you and where we've been affected by different things in our lives that are keeping us from really believing in you. We pray you'd raise our consciousness of, your, of the God factor now working in our life, that our reality would not just be temporal, but would be supernatural. It would be spiritual because of you, because you died on the cross, and because we received you by faith and our spirit was made alive. We were born again, and we seek to feed our spirit today. We seek to grow strong in you today, and we ask you to, Go back and 
arrange those things in our past that hinder our faith and hinder us, Lord, in being able to really trust and believe in you. And also that things, those things from the past that would rob us of the joy that we have in Christ. God, we ask it in Jesus' name. Our key verse for today is 2 Corinthians 2.14. Staying in the, the mode of Thanksgiving month, Paul encourages us by writing this. Now thanks be to God who always leads us to triumph in Christ. Now, you might be going through something contrary to that thing, that verse that we just read. But remember this verse this week. As you face whatever you're facing, as you deal with every, every conflicting circumstance and opposition to the word of God and the promises that you have as a believer, be thankful to God because God wants to lead you to victory in whatever circumstance you're facing right now, whatever you're dealing with your, of your past, whatever you're trying to overcome in your life, it has been paid for. The power to do it is now available to all of us through Jesus Christ. And we, we sang it about, about that today in most of all the songs that were sung. Kind of giving a quick overview of this series we've been going through. The title has been the same, but there's been a lot of new information and and uh, a lot of nuggets God's been throwing our way the last 11 weeks. The first one was looking beneath the surface that our life is sometimes like an iceberg where our attitudes and body language speak of what's going on under the surface. Whatever attitudes that we have, we may be living a life as Christians or we might be presenting a certain uh, image or whatever, but people can read what's really going on by looking at our faces. <laughs> I was sitting in my office the other day and Freddie came in and he goes, what's going on? I see it in your eyes. You know, as a pastor, I say, everything's good. Everything's good. Well, I really know there's a lot of things that are going on in people's lives, and there's a lot of things that aren't seemingly good. But we live a life in faith. We pray. We contend. We struggle to walk with God and to experience the changes that only He can bring us. So looking beneath the iceberg, we've been encouraged to, to look into our lives and to look into those things that affect our attitudes, our, our temperament, and our behavior. The second one was breaking the power of the past, that we look at the things that we have gone through, the belief systems that we've taken in, the people we've been around who have influenced us with their philosophies, with their view about life and politics, uh, even uh, prejudices that, that are, are brought to us by, our, by family members and friends and, and the people that we hang around with. I've been talking the last couple weeks about living in brokenness and vulnerability being real, accepting our own weakness, and being vulnerable so that we might experience God and Him continually changing us. That we don't have to put on airs or uh, certain uh, images to, to make ourselves look good, but we can simply be who we are and trust God that He's going to continue to do that work of transformation in our life. Last week I talked about, uh, just start talking a little bit about receiving uh, our limits as a gift from God. That who we are, we can't be everything. We can't solve all the world's problems. We can't be everything in our family or on the job or, or even for God, but we each have a unique call and a unique purpose. And when we understand and come to find the limits of who we are and we live in those limits, we leave, live in the purposes of God, we find great fulfillment, great peace, great joy, great comfort. That we learn to pull back from being codependent and trying to live everybody else's life, especially in our society when there's such an entitled society today, 
that we don't enable people anymore. We learn to live in the boundaries of who we are and we let God be God in our lives and we find that our limits bring more freedom and more peace to us. I want to ask you this question. Are we in touch with our feelings? Again, we've been talking over these last 11 weeks about how easy it is to become disconnected, go through struggles, go through a few problems and trials, feeling like we're powerless and we go into this place of disconnection because we don't know how to, uh, we don't know how to live life when things are not working out. And so are you in touch with your true feelings? Our emotions are directly connected with us and for us in how we receive from God. And sometimes we can go through the motions, but when we're disconnected, we're really kind of putting our faith to rest. And we're not really applying our emotions and our feelings because they're so much a part of who we are. They're so much a part of our spiritual life. We're not saved just to go to heaven, but God right now is working to restore our emotions, to deal with anger, so that we might have joy, so that we might have better feelings. But if we deny those feelings, if we're not in touch with what has cramped our feelings or or shut us down, then we're not growing emotionally. And from that, I'd like to read uh, Hebrews Hebrews 4, verse 15. Just the first part of that verse. It says, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. That's Jesus Christ. That when we, when we begin to get in touch with those emotions and feelings that we've been shut down and denied over, that as we begin to feel them, those are the moments we begin to connect with God in a deeper way. That's the moments we get, God recognizes that we're getting serious, that we're not just living as zombies. Matthew 14, 14. And when Jesus went out, he saw a great multitude, and he was moved with compassion for them, and he healed their sick. It's interesting that even when Jesus was moved by what he saw, and, you know, even Shelley presenting this new ministry, and her not being able to speak, her feeling that deep compassion for broken young people and how God wants to reach out to them. He wants to use our church in a new avenue of reaching young people for him, that they might have their emotions healed, that they might have their spirits born again and experience Jesus Christ. The definition of compassion is to have pity from bowels, a place where strong, powerful emotions originated. Hebrews regarded compassion as the place where tender mercies and feelings of affection, sympathy, pity originate from. So in that deep place of heart and spirit, soul, there was a connection that Jesus had where when he saw people who were in pain or they were under certain um, burdens or bondages, he was moved with that deep compassion. He saw their struggle, but he reached past their pain where they were to meet them right where they're at. And it is our prayers and my prayer today that you, wherever you're at, that God would meet you in that deep place where no one is touched, where maybe you've shut it down and isolated because nothing seems to, to take care of it. That's where God wants to meet us today. That's where he wants to connect with us so that we might receive. Matthew 9, 35 through 36. Jesus went about all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues 
preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion for them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. Are you feeling lonely? Or are you acting like that girl keeping that hardness of her heart and not really wanting to uh, share you know, where she was at? Only when we allow ourselves to be vulnerable, only, only when we allow ourselves to connect with the pain deep inside are we in that place of vulnerability where the Holy Spirit can just bring Jesus in that connect with us. What about those two guys who are blind? Something must be going on. Their other senses were going on because they were aware that the Son of God was coming by. Matthew 20, 30-34. I'd say these guys were emotionally connected. That their will was engaged just by what went on in this brief section. Two blind men were sitting by the roadside, and when they heard Jesus was going by, they shouted, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. How often are we, even in a church service, quiet and really reserved? But deep inside, there's something in us that wants to cry out, Jesus, have mercy on me today. I don't want another dry church service. Oh, God, I'm here with desperate needs. Oh, Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. God, change me. God, I have deep problems. God, I'm in a crisis. Lord, I need you. You know? Have mercy on us. The crowd rebuked them and told them to be quiet. But they shouted all the louder, Lord, Son of David, have mercy on us. And Jesus stopped and called them. What do you want me to do for you? He asked. Lord, they answered, we want our sight. It says that Jesus had compassion on them. And he touched their eyes. Immediately, they received their sight, and they followed him. I'm hoping that all of us will leave here coming out of any disconnection we have with life. Will everything happen for you that you want? Maybe. Maybe nothing will happen in your circumstance. But something will happen inside of you where you're not shut down. You're not disconnected. And like we talked the last two weeks about how God using our weaknesses and our vulnerability, that even though they, not, they may not change, they may stand or be, uh, stay and reside in, a, in us or over us or in our life, that something inside of us rises up where we hear God saying, my grace is sufficient for you. My strength is going to be there for you. But now you're no longer in disconnection because you press through with God in those things that you were dealing with. And you were no longer just gliding through life or even being a Christian that was nominal, just coasting along, but disconnected because you don't understand the reality of the circumstances in which you find yourself living. We have to understand our limits. Again, how we talked last week, understanding our limitations. And we talked a little bit about Jesus and the limitations he had. In, in Mark um, 1, 21 through 45, the people wanted him to stay in Capernaum. They bought into his message. They bought into his miraculous power, and they said, come, stay here. They were encouraging him to build a big church there. He didn't stay there. It wasn't part of his mission to build a big church there. He did not let everyone follow him. Luke 6, when that 
uh, that Gadarene man who was possessed by demons, when he was delivered and he desire, desired to be a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, no, you go back to your hometown and you tell what good things God has done for you. When people left him over that teaching about the body and blood in John 6, he didn't chase after them. He did not travel to every other continent in the world to try to reach the world with this message he was bringing to the earth. Jesus fulfilled his limit in John 17. When he's talking to the Father right before the cross, he says, I have glorified you down here on earth by completing the work that you gave me to do. He was on his way to go die on the cross to save the world from sin. That was his limits. Where do we find our limits? Proverbs 8, 34 through 35. Blessed, happy, fortunate to be envied is the man who listens to me watching daily at my gates, waiting at the posts of my doors. For whoever finds me finds wisdom, and they find life, and draws forth and obtains favor from the Lord. To live in all of who we're supposed to be and all that we are, to live in the very purposes from which we are called for, we've got to make regular time with Jesus every day. To sit at his gates means to go and sit in his presence. And if you have sometimes no words to say, but you say, here I am, Lord, speak to me. I'm sure a lot of things are going to be happening because God meets us spirit to spirit because we're born again in Christ. And you may walk away and your mind may say sometimes, I don't feel like I got anything from that. That's okay. Because the God is doing something in our spirit. But I tell you during the day when you need to know and to need to make a decision, when you need to walk in the boundaries of who you are and what God's called you to do, I tell you, that prophetic moment, something's going to come up out of you and you're going to walk in ways that you hadn't planned. But because you're giving your heart to God, because you're allowing God to pour into you, because you're allowing the Creator to form you and shape you in the purposes for which He's called you with, you're going to be very fruitful and successful and you're going to find yourself living in the incredible limits that God has put over your life and the purposes which He's called you to fulfill, you're going to be fulfilling them. Yes, it's one thing to know who we are. But let me tell you, if you let God have your life, he stretches your limits. He stretches you beyond what you ever thought you could do. And that's the exciting thing about having the power of God working in your life. He said in John 14, 12, greater works will you do because we believe the God factor works in spite of our weaknesses and our limitations. Actions of faith that you'll take because you feel a little nudge and you say yes. And so in fear and trepidation, you take those steps into the unknown. You find that your limitations become limitless because the Holy Spirit begins to move in you in the area He's directing you to move into. And you find the power of God being exampled in your life and you find a new expression and a new testimony because you have words forming in you that hadn't been formed before. Why? Because you're actively walking out your life in relationship with God and in the will and call of God for your life. I think about Abraham and Sarah. God made him a rich landowner, but he was, him and his wife were barren. And it was supernatural work beyond their own limits in their old age where God fulfilled his promise to give them that son Isaac from which Christ, the Savior of the world, would come. What about Moses at age 40? 
He's a ruler in Egypt. He tries because somewhere deep down in his spirit, in his call as a Jewish man, he, he knows there's a call in him to set the Jewish people free. And when he tries in his own strength and fails, he's run out of town. He's running for his life. So over the next 40 years as he's shepherd and he's broken by life and by disappointment and by the reality that, that he failed this call of God in his life, in the timing of God, in the process and the long seasons of life, in that brokenness, in that place of not understanding what God's doing, God saw that it was time for him and God visited him and he saw that burning bush. And we know the story. He leaves the shepherding and he goes to get the people out of Egypt. Out of his limitation as a human being, he finds uh, the greatest power, one of the greatest power releases that any man in the Bible has experienced. And we know the stories of what God did through Moses. What about Timothy? Called as a young pastor, as a young person, he led the church in Ephesus that had many problems and divisions. Out of this weak young man came the power of God and changed his limitations and stretched him into the limits that are from God. I haven't talked about this part of the emotional growth and uh, developing and growing healthy emotionally, but I want to talk about it today. Have we embraced grief and loss in our life? I think of, you know, it seems like sometimes we have a cap on our services today where we don't have these great heights of joy and maybe people say, well, what's going on? This church seems so down. And we we're might be down for a little while, but I tell you, God is getting us ready to experience great joy. But he's trying to root out deep roots of pain. And when you think about roots, what are roots? Roots are deep beneath the ground and you do not see. I, I went to my mom's yesterday and my dad, uh, when we were probably in our, 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 we were like, before our teens, my dad brought these four redwood trees home. He had to dig them up when he was digging up in Redwood City somewhere for the PG&E. And so instead of destroying them, he brought them home and he planted them. And those trees got so big, and I was looking at them yesterday, and I mean, they're huge. But I was thinking about the taproot. The, that which you don't see is so deep in the ground. That's our faith in Jesus Christ. That happened in the moment we said, yes, Jesus, I know you love me, and, and I need a Savior. I'm a sinner. I have a broken life. I, I can't do this life. Will you come into my heart? Will you save me? And a deep taproot of faith begins to grow in us. That root is the strength of who we are, both naturally and spiritually. It's the root that's going to take us into eternity and continually cause us to grow because we're rooted and grounded in Jesus Christ. I think about the story in Mark eleven twenty when Jesus was hungry and he saw that fig tree. And it was supposed to be the, the, the that, that fig tree had all the leaves and it had all the familiarity that a tree should have, that it should have fruit on it. And it didn't. And Jesus cursed it. And in Mark eleven twenty, it says, a few days later when they came by, they noticed that the leaves had withered. And they had withered from the root. Oh, God wants to heal the bitterness and the hurts that we've had that are our bitter roots in our life that we try to pull out 
or the, which we cut off the tops, we try to deny. You know, last week we had that rain. I went on Monday afternoon to my backyard and the ground was so moist, I was pulling out weeds. But there was a couple, it just, the top just snapped out. I tell you, the things that we've gone through, the things that have been done to you, the relationships, dysfunctions, uh, loss of parenting, parents who didn't know what they were doing, uh, parents who were maybe in drug addiction or you were abandoned, whatever it is, maybe spouses, you were rejected, you, you were maybe had a Christian husband, you were still rejected, they, they didn't do it right, and, and you were left with scars and wounds and places that, that make you think, yeah, God, I know you love me, but your feelings and your emotions and where you live in life are so disconnected. We have to grieve the losses in our life. And I tell you, the Holy Spirit's going to trigger losses that are affecting you. You may be going along thinking nothing's affecting you, and something's going to get triggered. And you might get irritated about it, but don't get irritated because God is showing you he loves you. But he wants to go back to those places where you've been deeply wounded and you haven't grieved your loss. You've zipped up your heart and said, you know what? I can make it. I'm going to make it. I'm an overcomer. I'm a survivor. Well, that's good. But there comes a place where you cannot just be a survivor because God needs the tenderness of your heart and the vulnerableness of your emotions so that you might have the joy and experience the other things in life and not just have these walls and these hurts up because you've endured something. God wants you to be vulnerable. God wants you to be weak. Why? So as, as you're healed, you can share that story. You can empathize and have that compassion for broken people. Why? Because you've gone through it and you've allowed the Holy Spirit to come back and bring healing to your life. You've got to go to the roots. You've got to grieve your losses. You have to let the Holy Spirit do its work. You have to get your pen and paper out when you're taking your time with the Lord or, or when you're going through your day and something comes up and that you need to dig on and you write it down and you let God pull those dead, dry roots that are affecting your faith in God right now, that are affecting your forgiveness. Sometimes as Christians we can say we forgive, but we, we can't because there's roots that have to be pulled. Lewis Meads wrote this, We will not take healing action against unfair pain until we own the pain we want to heal. It is not enough to feel pain. We need to appropriate the pain we feel, to be conscious of it, to take it on and take it on as our own. I worry about fast forgivers. They tend to forgive quickly in order to avoid their pain. When you look at the book of Psalms, more than half of the Psalms are called laments. And the word lament for the Psalms means an expression of grief or sorrow. In many of the Psalms David wrote, he wrote laments. David expressed grief and loss through the Psalms and through the songs that he sung and that he played. David encouraged dealing with grief and loss. In 2 Samuel 1.18, after Saul and his sons were killed in battle, even though Saul was an evil king. David had a respect for Saul because Saul had been called by God. Then even though he, he did wrong things and uh, he was eventually punished for his sins and the kingdom was taken for him, David respected Saul. David respected Jonathan, who was his friend. And to not just skip over and say, well, so, so be it. You know, the evil king is gone and now I'm going to rise to power. He cared about the people who didn't live out their life right. He cared about his friend who died in battle. 
Second Samuel 1.18, David took up his lament concerning Saul and his son Jonathan, and he ordered that the people of Judah be taught this lament of the bow. It is written in the book of Jazar. And it continues, if you want to read it this week, in the continued verses 19 through 27. And it's interesting, he got the people of Judah to sing it. God gets his people together to sing about the things that hurt us and have caused us to be, have setbacks or would cause us to disconnect in our faith with God because they're hard circumstances and we can't figure them out and we wonder, why God? Why did you allow this? Sometimes we experience the death to our promises and we say, why God? The promises you came prophetically were so strong. Why? We are so limited in our understanding of what God is doing. But the most important thing is that our heart stays open and we have this trust with God. That can only happen as we keep being honest about what we're feeling in our misunderstanding of how God's doing things. When we look at things from a natural perspective, lament struggle with the reality of God's goodness and presence while dealing with the feelings that he is not here. Psalms 43.2, Why must I go about mourning oppressed by my enemy? Psalms 77, 8 and 9. Has his unfailing love vanished forever? Has his promise failed me for all time? How many of us have said that about different things that we're going through? God, where are your promises? Psalms 42, 3. Tears have been my food day and night. Psalms 88, 6 and 7. You have put me in the lowest pit in the darkest depths. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. You have overwhelmed me with all of your waves. Psalms 53, 3. Jesus, a man of sorrow and acquainted with grief. Again, that whole thing about the psalmist, the laments and psalms, where they cried, they grieved over their circumstance. They made songs about what they went through. But it was all part of their healing. Pouring out their hearts to God, pouring out their complaints, their sorrows, their deep roots of bitterness loosened the soil around those roots so that they could be pulled out. And as they poured out those, those tears and those cries and those woes about what they went through, that root began to slip out. And by the end of most of those psalms, that there, are, that there are laments. There comes a reversal in the psalmist. And there is a new looking to God and the expectation of hope and something new happening. What happened in that brief song from being so in depths of sorrow and grief, and at the end of that psalm, there's hope, there's joy, there's something fresh, there's a new root starting. It's that root of faith, it's that root of hope that we're not going to remain in our grief and sorrow forever. But as we deal with it, we are going to be transformed and transitioned into new people, and we're going to live in a resurrection life. Um, Isaiah 61, verse 3. In prayer this morning, I, I felt this was a, like a powerful prophetic part. Actually, it's the last line in uh, verse 2 also. The reason why Jesus came and the reason why the Holy Spirit is now left with us to comfort all who mourn, to console those who mourn in God, in the body of Christ, in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, those things that you feel like they burn up, they're gone, the promises, the losses, that God will give you beauty for those sorrowful things and those sorrowful times that you've lived through. 
the disappointments, you know, the breakups, everything that seems so negative that would steal your joy, that it's going to be changed. And then the oil of joy for mourning and the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. I know there's days coming in our congregation we're going to be rioting with joy. It's going to be wild with joy because that's this promise. That's this promise. Weeping endures for a night, but joy will come in the morning. God cares for our soul. God cares about our emotional health. This world and Satan is out to destroy our emotional health. The news is out to give us negative news. Why? Because it sells newspapers. It sells articles. It sells books. We were created to have good news. That's why the gospel came. That's why Jesus came. That's the good news. That there's something counters every negative thing that we go through. Every negative experience. There's a counter. And it's the good news of the gospel. Now, this is extra, leaving emotional health. But I think it's so much a part of what we're going to draw on to keep healing ourselves. Slide seven. God with us. Jesus with us. Matthew one twenty three. Matthew writes, the fulfillment of the prophetic promise of Isaiah 7.14. Behold, the virgin shall become pregnant and give birth to a son. And they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means, and translated, God with us. A promise from Jesus in Matthew 28, 20, part B of the verse. Behold, I am with you all the days, perpetually, uniformly, and on every occasion, to the very close and consummation of the age. That's a promise he gave to the disciples and all of us who are following him. And here's another great promise that he will be with us. John 14, 15 through 16. Jesus said to his disciples, If you love me, keep my commandments. And I will pray the Father, and he will give you another helper, that he may abide with you forever. Ever think about with that definition? Accompanying, next to, in support of. But this is a great transition that I love. That transition concerning God from with us to in us. There's a big difference. I have a little example I wanted to bring to you today. First of all, let me ask, do you like cookies with chocolate chips or do you like chocolate chip cookies? This is cookie with chocolate chips. With. This is chocolate chip cookie in. We're in Christ through Jesus Christ. We're not just with. He's in us. We're in him. Can you see the difference? He's in you. And when you realize he's in you, there's something begins to change about everything you face. There's something that begins to transform you in a way that nothing has transformed you. I am not alone. Your mind is going to tell you alone. Your senses are going to tell you alone. Your feelings are going to tell you alone. But it's a lie. If you receive Jesus Christ, greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. 
He's here to tell you today, I am with you. I am in you. I will never leave you or forsake you. You have a hope. You have a God that's done everything, not alone, just to be with us anymore. That was a promise, Emmanuel with us. No, no, that was not good enough. That's why Jesus died, because he's a righteous God. We're unrighteous, but we are all righteous now by the blood of Jesus. Doesn't matter what we've done. Doesn't matter what sins we've committed. Doesn't matter what people say about our past. Doesn't matter what Satan says about your past. If you've asked Jesus Christ to forgive you, he comes and he lives in you. He's in you. John 14, 7 through 18. The promise the Holy Spirit will be in you. That transition from with to in. Again, this is after the cross. We're now free from sin. He says, the Holy Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you will know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be in you. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. That promise that the Holy Spirit was going to come, not to just be, okay, let's hang around together. No, I'm going to be inside you now. It's going to be a step deeper. It's not going to be just, yeah, we're walking with you, and you know, you can walk a different way, and he'll walk somewhere. No. That's why sometimes we're in the middle of doing something wrong. And right there, we feel the conviction. And we feel, whoa, this is terrible. God's with me, and I'm feeling convicted. I can't no longer enjoy what I'm doing. Why? Because he's in you, and he's working to, to change you and transform you so that you're not the same old person doing the same old things, serving Satan. But there's a work of God. You begin to have a repentance and an and a, and a, uh, understanding that there's things that he hates, and those, some of those things he's going to be breaking off of you. Why? Because he's in you, and he's making you more and more holy because he's taking up those places in our soul that need healing and restoration. Jesus was leaving his disciples with a promise that someone greater would be in them, not just with them. What is better, Jesus with us or in us? Yes! Chocolate chip cookies was a good example. You'll never eat another chocolate chip cookie without realizing Jesus is in you. John 4, 4. John the disciple and friend of Jesus wrote, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he who is in you is greater than he that is in the world. Are you feeling weak and defeated today? Kick that thought out. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. Are you facing overwhelming circumstances? Do you feel limited? Great. You're weak. Who's going to be your strength? Christ in you, the hope of glory. Jesus in you is the one that's going to raise you up. In definition, within, inside, into, into a given place. It's a state. It's inward. Jesus in us. Romans 8. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead lives in you, he who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who lives in you. Despite what your circumstances, what your diagnosis is, or what, what pills that you're on, greater is he that is in you. The spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is in you. So you need to keep applying your faith. You keep asking God, I'm doing everything I need to do. I'm doing what the doctor tells me. But there's something greater working in me because I know. Because even though I'm carrying this sickness or disease, if I get a cut, you're healing it. Lord, I'm believing that you are working resurrection life in me. I believe that you are the one that's bringing health to my body. When I'm on my sickbed, it says you're the one that is with me on my sickbed. Why? God is a resurrector. Jesus is a resurrector. So whether your circumstance is going to be used by God to make you stronger so that you have a greater testimony and you see God's power working through you, or that you are to receive a healing or a restoration, that depends on you and your relationship with God, that you should walk in all the fullness of who you are as a believer, in your limitations, being a victor because God is in you.
Maybe our worship team could come while I throw a few more scriptures at you. John 1, 4. In him, in Jesus, was life, and his life was the light of men. There's light in you. There's incredible light. That's why you spend a little time with Jesus in the Word. You spend a little time praising and worshiping when you don't feel like it. What happens? You come out, and your family says, wow, what's going on? Your eyes are brighter because inside of your spirit, your eyes are the candle. Your eyes are the doors, the windows of your soul. And when the Spirit of God is charging you up, you could see it in the reflection of your eyes. You illuminate the glory of God. We have freedom from temptation. Are you struggling with anything? You say, I'm a Christian, but I keep struggling. 2 Peter 2.9, the Lord knows how to deliver the godly out of temptations and to, and to reserve the unjust uh, under punishment for the day of, of judgment. Wow, that's a, new, that's a new scripture to hang on to when I'm in temptation. God knows how to deliver me when I'm getting tempted. I may get to the edge and feel like I'm going to give in, but God knows how to deliver me from temptation. I have too many scriptures to, to use today. In Galatians 1.27 says, Christ is in us, the hope of glory. So, not only is he in us, we're in him. That's another thought. Now, now he is the... Um, we're the chocolate cookie, right? And he's the white chocolate chips in us. We're in him. He's in us. What a, what a connection. And, and I, I sort of think of what does that mean? You have to start looking at your life as a Christian and start identifying how you're in him. And I was thinking, okay, okay, how was I in him? At eight years old, at Christmas time, I received the love of God and I accepted Christ. How else? I, I was raised in a family who were Christians. I kept walking with Jesus. I, I knew I wanted to be married someday, but I knew I needed to be someone who, who was going to serve God too. Somehow that was in me. So I prayed for a wife for 10 years. I met Dory, and we got married. Wow, you were leading me. You were in me. I was in you. I, I, was, I was obedient. Did I walk in this revelation that every moment of the day through those you know 30-odd years that I knew God or I knew what he was saying or doing? No, but I was in him, and he was in me. You know, through that process of, of, of even uh, stepping back from ministry for the first five years of our marriage, as we were struggling and in, in being two different people, learning how to be married, we didn't call it quits. We could have called it quits the first week. But we realized, wait a minute, God's in us, and, and we're in him, but he has a greater purpose. So, so we stuck it out. We fought it out. And, and then God uh, worked more responsibility in, in the church we were in. And then we got to this place where, okay, now he wants to be full-time. Okay, okay, I'll do that. So I make this decision. I'm in him. He's in me. And that's the, the way we have to start looking at it. We have to look at the Bible and say, okay, God, if you're in me today, start thinking about that. Okay, you're in me and I'm in you. What does that look like? Start looking at your life. Start examining your decisions. Start examining maybe the decisions some of you have made that were, were not the best decisions. Ask for forgiveness and repentance and let God just bring this whole new uh, understanding that you are not alone. 